0: Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way.
1: Now, typically, I just start singing, but I want to ask y'all something. Do you know what today is? Now, it's Sunday. You did come to church on the right day, the choir knows. It is the 166th anniversary of Rocky Valley Baptist Church. We've been on this piece of ground, on this piece of ground since 1883. We've been in existence as a constituted church. They met the second Saturday, the Saturday before the second Lord's Day, April 1852, to constitute this great church. And I am so proud that God has chosen to continue to use us in a way to, to, to witness to this community and to Lebanon and the surrounding areas. And so, I, if, I, if my math's correct, preacher, we have had 8,632 church services in those 166 years. In the 135 years that we've been worshiping in this house, yep, it's 135 years old. We've had 7,020 church services in this room. Now, that's something to be proud of, y'all. That's something that should give you goosebumps. And as we continue to move forward, how are, they, how are they going to look back on us in another 100 years and say, Boy, Jason Mull, he preached some good sermons. Or, man, they want a lot of people to the Lord, and their baptismal pool was never still. How are they going to write us into the history of this church? As we were singing this morning, I chose songs that I'm sure our forefathers sang right here in this very room. So don't hate me if you hate the old hymns. Don't throw stones at me. If you do love them, then sing out, okay? Um, we're going to sing like a Baptist church this morning, like the Baptists have sung for 200 years. When the roll is called, if yonder, I'll be there. I oh, know, that's a sermon. That's free preaching. That's what he would say,
2: of the Lord shall sound, and time shall be no more
1: After all that, I'm excited to be here this morning, I know that. We're leaning on the everlasting arms. What a fellowship. What a joy divine. as the choir's coming down and I ask that you pray for me singing the next song I'm, I'm having some vocal problems this morning and, uh, anyway I, I'm a history nut if anybody doesn't know me already and I love to think about what took place when and how did how did these people overcome obstacles and how did they live their lives and All of the hard work that they put in to preserve this church. And now it's left in our hands. And those people who have preached the word and taught um, the love of Christ have already gone on to their reward. And that's what we have to look forward to as believers. And one of these days, we're all going to bow on our knees and cry holy.
3: cried, sing. Oh
0: Brother, one hundred and sixty six years men have strolled not behind necessarily this pulpit, but a pulpit in this great church. And I assure you, I do not take it lightly that I share the opportunity with all those who have gone before me, faithfully preaching the Word of God. I know that they faithfully preached the Word of God, because 166 years later, there's still a pulpit for me to stand behind this morning. And I know that many great members of this great church have come through. And enjoyed services in this great building. But I also know that last week they were jealous that they weren't here (laughs) to celebrate with us. The Spirit of God was so tremendous last week in this house. And I don't know about all of you, but it took me uh, until probably Wednesday to recover from just being washed and bathed in the Holy Spirit of God. And I am so thankful to all of you that came out and invited others to come out for your attitude of worship when you arrived. Uh, And not in just this building, but I thought all across this great land, people gathered. And as they gathered, they really had a focus. And it was a focus on the resurrected Christ. And, and as excited as I was about that, I was also saddened a little bit to think that each and every time we come together, our focus should be on the resurrected Christ. We should come to church every time we have opportunity to gather. If we are a Bible-preaching, Bible-believing church, the focus should always be on the resurrected Christ. It doesn't matter if the preacher is preaching out of Genesis 2. The theme of Genesis 2 is still the glory of the resurrected Christ. It does not matter which passage you flip open to in this great book. If you read it in the context in which it was written with the purpose for which it was written. That passage will point to the resurrected Christ and his glory revealed. And so last week, though, we dove specifically into the text about the resurrected Christ and what he did in his subsequent appearance to his disciples after his resurrection. And so this week, we're just going to fast forward a few days in the life of Jesus, a few weeks even. And we'll see that Jesus is again appearing to his disciples. And it's going to cause us to look at what... What's what's happened to the disciples between last week's message and this week's message? What's what's happened in their lives between the first time Jesus appeared to them post-resurrection and and this time when Jesus appears to them post-resurrection? And I believe as we look to them, if we are honest with ourselves, we'll find that we too need to ask ourselves some questions that the disciples needed to ask themselves. And the first one is this, what are you doing... After seeing the resurrected Christ. What are you doing after looking upon the face of the resurrected Christ from the scriptures last week? Now please stand, if you are able, in the house. In the honor and reverence of the Holy Word of our Holy God from the Gospel of John chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. And after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, We are going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? And they answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. And so they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment and plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land but two hundred cubits, dragging the net with fish. And as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. And Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Let's pray. Father God, God, we come to you at this sacred time with this sacred book and this sacred text. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would anoint this next few minutes of our time. God, we pray that any spirit that is not of your Holy Spirit would be bound, gagged, and drugged from this place even now as we speak. God, anything that would hinder our focus upon you for the next little bit, God, we pray that you would remove it from our minds and that you would be ultimately glorified through the teaching of your holy word. God, draw your people near to you. And it's in your precious, saving, heavenly name that we pray, as all of God's children said, amen, and you may be seated. So the first question we need to ask ourselves this morning is, are you going back? Are you going back? Scripture tells us in, in, in verse one of chapter 21, after these things. Now I believe that most of you know me well enough by, by this point to know that I just cannot let one of those transitional phrases go by. You know, those that say, in as much, or therefore because or but or in in so. Or after these things. This is a transitional phrase. And if we don't look at after these things and say, what am I going to look at before to know what's after and what things are coming, then I'm not going to understand what I'm getting ready to read in chapter 21. And so after these things, let's just look back for just a moment so we can lay the context for what we're about to talk about. The things that are leading up after these things... These things would be the events that led to the cross of Calvary. The the events that led to Jesus ultimately being crucified. His death and His burial and His resurrection specifically are the events that are being talked about here. Now, if you were with us last week, uh, you saw that when Jesus appeared to his disciples, post-death, burial, and resurrection, he appeared in the room, he was there with his disciples, and he gave them some instruction. Good news, if you weren't here with us last week, you're not going to be lost for the remainder of the service, because I'm going to tell you a little bit about what Jesus said to his disciples in that room. And essentially, he gave them a commission. To go out and to share his gospel and then he gave them the knowledge that his helper the Holy Spirit would go with them. He said you've got marching orders to go share the gospel and good news you don't got to do it by yourself. Now I know some of you are thinking you preached 40 minutes you summed it up in 3 minutes and that's right. Right. So if you weren't here last week, you know what the Easter sermon was. But now keep in mind that after Jesus appeared to his disciples and commissioned them, there was one who wasn't there. His name was Thomas. And some eight days later, Jesus comes back so that he can appear with Thomas because Thomas is coining his famous nickname of doubting Thomas in these moments because as the disciples talk to him about the events that went on in the room, Thomas says, unless I shall lay my hands on his hands." Unless I see his scars, I'm not sure I can buy what you guys are talking about. Now come back tonight, we'll look at Thomas specifically in those verses. But essentially what happened is Jesus appears again, and he convinces Thomas by showing him the nail-pierced hands and feet. And so all of the disciples now have been commissioned. They have been given instructions as to what they should do. They've all seen the resurrected Christ. And the resurrected Christ has given them their marching orders. And so here, after these things, we see the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And on the scene we have Simon, Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, and the sons of Zebedee, and at least two other disciples. And Peter says to them, I'm going fishing. Now at first glance, many of you just said, Peter is my kind of guy. When he needs to pass some time, when he's looking for something to do, he says, let's go to the fishing hole, let's get the fishing boat, let's hook it up, let's put it in the water, let's go catch some fish. Boys, who wants to go fishing with me? Now I like to fish just as much as anybody. But let's look a little closer as to what's going on here. When Peter says, I am going fishing. Now if you think back to when Peter was called as a disciple, that happened in Matthew chapter 4, for those of you that want to look later, but I'll remind you of what happened. Jesus is passing by the Sea of Galilee, and at least some of these that are on this crew fishing today, Peter and James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were fishing by the Sea of Galilee when Jesus first called them as his disciples. And most of you will remember when I tell you this is the famous time when Jesus said, follow me and I will make you Fishers of men. So so they were fishers by trade. They were fishing professionally. And Jesus said, get out of the boat, leave your nets. Come on, I'm going to make you fishers of men and follow me. And they followed Jesus for three years. They left their nets behind. If you read that text, you'll see that the sons of Zebedee didn't even finish cleaning the nets out. They just suddenly left, lickety split, and followed this Jesus. And for three years, they have been following Jesus, being fishers of men, being obedient to Jesus Christ, doing what he said to do. And suddenly now he's gone, and Peter says, I am going fishing. But literally, if you look at that phrase, it's not just like I might call you up and and say Monday afternoon, hey, do you want to go fishing for a little bit? What Peter is really saying is, professionally speaking, I'm going back to the fishing industry. It it, it would be as if uh, I was, uh, if you had once been an electrician and you went to work in a factory and after about six months you, you, you got to yearning to go pull wire again and you walked into your boss and said, I'm going back. To the electrical field. It's like Peter is essentially leaving this profession of a hind and going back to the fishing profession. And so he's saying, I'm going back to what I know how to do. And all of a sudden the other disciples go, well, seems like a good plan. We'll well, we'll just go fishing with you. You can't drag those nets by yourself. You can't get the boat out there all on your own. We'll just, We'll go with you and we'll follow right along. And my friends, I want to make sure that we're on the same page here. As to what happened. Just three years before, Jesus strolled by, passed into these men's lives, and he said, come on, I'm going to put a call on your life into the ministry to share my gospel. You're going to become fishers of men. And then in his last appearance with them, he commissioned them to do just what he had called them to do to begin with. He said, you are to go. And anybody that you share the gospel with that believes on me will be forgiven. And anybody that doesn't, they will not be forgiven if they reject my gospel. And he's given them the commission to go out and make fishers of men. That's what he called them to do in the beginning. And they gladly left their nets behind to go and do what Jesus called them to do. But now, suddenly, when the rubber meets the road and it's time to go about doing what they're supposed to be doing, what Jesus called them to do, they say, wait a minute, I'm much more comfortable with a net in my hand. I'm much more comfortable with a boat under my feet. I'm much more comfortable catching fish. That's what I know how to do. And now Jesus is gone, and I don't know what to do. I'm going to go back to what I'm comfortable with. But I want you to remember even more that that from the time Jesus called them to be fishers of men, think of everything they had seen Him do. They had seen Lazarus, a dead man, come back at his call. They had seen blind men see and deaf men hear. They had seen a centurion's son healed from a distance. Jesus didn't even have to go to the house. They had seen him crucified on a cross. And then they had seen him appear to them in his resurrected body just three days later. And yet... After all of that, you would think that would have been sufficient for them to have done whatever he said. I don't know about you guys, I've not seen many dead people come back. But I think if I saw a dead person that I saw die come back some three days later and they told me what to do, I like to think I would listen. But here the disciples did exactly the opposite. They've been given their marching orders and they go right back to where they started. And I don't mean they went to the nearest creek to go fishing. The Sea of Tiberias is very literally the Sea of Galilee. It was renamed by the Romans in honor of one of the emperors. And so this is very literally the Sea of Galilee. They went back to where they were before Jesus ever came into their lives. Now look around this morning. Many of us will see that there are seats where someone was sitting last week and they are not this morning. Now I understand, I'm not crazy. I fully understand that some of those we family members that came specifically for the Easter service to sit with a grandmother or a grandfather or a mother or a father or a son or a daughter. And that is incredible. And I understand that they're in their home churches this morning worshiping where they're members. And that is exactly where they're supposed to be. Some have returned to school or jobs or things that they weren't doing last week. I, I understand that. But my friends, there there are an awful lot of people who simply returned to what they were comfortable with. And that was sleeping in on Sunday because it was their only day off instead of celebrating the resurrected Savior. the son, let me tell you about the church, though, in that. I'm not preaching to them. I'm preaching to us. Many of us were so geared up for Good Friday and Sunrise and Easter Sunday That we invited people like we've never invited people before or like we haven't in a long time. And yet, my question is this Will we reach out to that person who was here last week, who isn't this week, and ask them where they are this week? Will we reach out to them and ask them if they need anything? Can we pray for them? Can I do anything for you? Will we do that, or or will we just expect that that's the pastor's job? That's the job of the deacon. That's not my position. No, my friend, if you are a disciple of Christ, you have received a commission to go out and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that means if you look next to you and there's somebody not here, I promise you this. I know I stand up here and I look out, but a lot of times I, I, I don't pick up a specific face. And I apologize for that. I'm trying to get better. But you know who you can pick up is the person that's sitting next to you. The person that's sat in front of you. You want me to call them, let me know, I'll call them. But if God put it on your heart to check on them, maybe you should check on them because if we are disciples of Christ, we've been given a commission. And do we find ourselves like the disciples though, saying, I'm just going to go back to what's comfortable. I'm going to go back to, to what I know what to do. Well, last week was Easter, Brother Jason. It was Easter. This is the day that the Lord has made. This is the first day of the week and my copy of God's word says that on the first day of the week they went and saw that that tomb was empty. And that the hope that came from that is the reason why that all the apostles of Jesus that followed and all the disciples began to gather on the first day of the week and celebrate not because it was the the yearly anniversary of that but, but because it was a Sunday. Because it was the first day of the week and they couldn't wait to get together and celebrate specifically that it was the day of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why we gather each week on Sunday. It's the first day of the week. And we want to acknowledge that Jesus Christ has risen. So my friend, I ask you this. Are you celebrating as fervently this morning? Are you going back to just whatever was comfortable? So the first question is, are you... Going back. And the second question we need to ask ourselves this morning is, are we missing out? Are you missing out? Look with me at verses 3 through 5 really quickly. Simon Peter says, I'm going fishing. They say, I'm going with you. They go, immediately got into the boat, and that night, what did they catch? Nothing. They caught nothing. Now, these guys are not fly-by-night fishermen. If you saw Brother Ligon and myself coming off the water of Old Hickory Boat Dock, and you asked us, what did you catch, and we said nothing, you probably shouldn't be too shocked by that revelation. Probably not such a big deal. But son, these guys did it for a living. That means that they had to catch fish. If I had to feed my family on catching fish, I'd lose a lot of weight. But these dudes did it for a living, all right? They went out and caught fish and sold fish and traded fish and bartered with fish. And that was how they provided for themselves. That was their work. They were good at it. All right? They knew what they were doing and their livelihood depended on them knowing what they are doing. They're not regular old guys. And I'm pretty sure that in three years' time, fish on the Sea of Galilee didn't so drastically change that suddenly Peter didn't know the right side of the boat to cast his nets on. I believe he was casting his nets in the places where the fish used to be. Matter of fact, I believe that Simon Peter's nets were probably dragging across fish that squirmed through the holes even though they couldn't fit because Jesus appointed that he wasn't going to catch no fish that night. He's done that to me a time or two. And suddenly they come to the morning. And Jesus says to them, Children, have you any food? Now, I want to point out something. They're 200 cubits from the shore, we're going to find out. Jesus couldn't stand on the shore and, and, and just wait on them to come in and say, Did you guys catch anything? No, 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 he had to shout it out. He said, Hey! Y'all got any food And what'd they have to say? No. Now Jesus is phrasing this question where it's not really like a have you caught anything? It's a listen, you need to eat, don't you? You need you need fish to be in them nets, and they ain't no fish in them nets, are they? You're, you're not going to eat anything because you had a bad night. Maybe, maybe it'll be better for you tomorrow. There's something else Jesus does, though. When, when he uses that phrase, children, he's not even talking to the disciples as, as he has just a few days prior. Every time he talked to the disciples leading up to the cross, he called them his brethren or his beloved right, a kindred comment, somebody that's really close to you. You know, like you might talk to a family member or a close friend. You might refer to them in that way. Jesus just calls them children. That's just a generic answer that Jesus gives. He said, hey, it'd be like if you saw a boat out there and you just said, hey, guys, who is that? Hey, hey, did y'all catch anything? That's kind of what Jesus is doing. He's not even really acknowledging that they're his brethren, and and it's because they're being disobedient. It's because they had a call on their lives and they weren't being obedient. And and I don't know about you guys, but we're about to see the grace of Jesus on full display in the last few verses, but sometimes in my life, right before the grace of Jesus abounds in such an exceedingly abundant way that I don't deserve because I never deserve it, but sometimes right before Jesus Gives me that, that gracious moment of forgiveness and reprieve. He gives me that sickening moment of conviction and realization. And I think that's kind of what's happening here for the disciples. Is Jesus is not even calling them his brethren. Not even calling them his close kindred. And, and he's, he's really looking at them as they've gone back to what they used to do. And fishing's not bad. But my friend, the problem with them fishing is they had a greater call upon their lives to go out and share the gospel. And they just went about trying to do their own plan instead of the plan of Christ. And the simple truth is this. Once you have seen the resurrected Christ, you simply cannot go back to where you were before. Let me say that again. Once you have seen the resurrected Christ, you simply cannot go back to where you were before. You won't be the same. If you see Jesus, you won't be the same again. And that's the problem with what they're doing. Disobedience to God equals failure. The things that you try to do that are separate from what God has commanded you and called you to do simply will not succeed. But that doesn't just go for, like, bad things either. You can head as hard as you can into a ministry that is a good ministry that is going to do good things for Christ. And if that's not the ministry that God has called you to, you will fall flat on your face Every single time. Why? Because he equipped someone else for that ministry. And he equipped you for something else. And if you're being honest, you'll know that that's not what you were called to. That he called you to something else. But my friends, there is something incredible about looking at a ministry that you know that God has called you to and recognizing that you have no business doing it. God, I I am not anywhere near qualified to teach that class. I am not qualified to serve on that committee. I am not qualified to lead that music. I am not good enough to play that instrument. But when you feel that God has called you to it, it is incredible how the Holy Spirit of God will go before you and work out all the kinks in your path. And suddenly your inability will become His glory. Let me say that again. When you are doing what God calls you to do and being obedient to what God calls you to, your inability will become His glory. And that, my friends, is the most fulfilling moment in your life. It's when you will realize that you were obedient to God and He went before you. (coughs) But can I tell you the most empty season in your life? Will be when you're missing out on what God intended for you. Because you're going back to what you wanted to do before you met Jesus. That will be a season of unexplainable emptiness. And so are you going back? Are you missing out? And finally this morning, are you returning to restoration? Bless God, there's a place we can come back to. In verse 6 we see... That this Jesus that they didn't recognize yet says cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. Now I think that's an incredible statement. And here's why I think it's incredible. They don't know it's Jesus yet. Let me say that again. They don't know it's Jesus yet. So here you have some professional fishermen in a boat not catching anything. Some guy, as far as they know, over on the shore says, put your nets on the other side. Now, I don't know about all you fishermen in here, but I just pointed out that I'm not a great fisherman. And I would venture a guess is that if we met on a boat ramp, you came off the water, said you had a bad day, didn't catch no fish. And I said, go back out there and cast out in that other water. That's where the fish are. You'd probably think that I was a psycho. And you'd probably be right, but these guys are professional. This guy, they don't know. It just speaks to the authority that Jesus spoke with, I do believe. That even when they didn't really recognize that it was Jesus, they said, well, at least they said it can't hurt, right? At least they thought, I'm going to prove this guy wrong. Whatever it was, they put their nets on the other side, and just look what happens. They put their nets on the other side, and lo and behold, the GPS unit that Peter was using was about one boat off from where the fish were. They were suddenly over on the the right-hand side of the boat. And he cast his nets out, and they couldn't even draw them in because of all the fish that were there. And suddenly, in this moment, the disciple whom Jesus loved, John, one of the sons of Zebedee, sees the nets fill up, and I believe it was that aha moment. Where he went? That's Jesus. That that hey uh, guys guy. That's not that's not some smart aleck on the shore. That's Jesus Christ. Because the fish have listened. Nobody else could command the fish to get in the nets. Nobody else knew what was going. That's got to be Jesus and my friends Peter. Oh my, how I love Peter. Peter is up in the boat, and when it says he had to put his garment on, that's another indication we know that he thought he went back to work because what the fishermen would do is they'd basically wear a smock kind of around their midsection. When they fish, they'd take their garments off, and that's when they were at work on the boat. And it says <clears throat> that, that John says, that's Jesus. And Peter says, what, nothing, doesn't he? He like <laughs> woo, hoo go swimming, right? And Peter's pumping because, you know, he kind of overreacts to things. He's cut a guy's ear off. He denied Jesus. He does all these things. And I believe that Peter, who is the perfect definition of all of us men in overreacting and overreacting and doing all these things, he's like, G- G- did you say Jesus? You're right. That's Jesus. Let me jump in. I got to get to him. Sorry about the fish guys. I don't care what you do with them. Let them go for all I care. I'm going to see Jesus because, because really the last conversation I had with Jesus, he said I was going to deny him. And I did. And I got to get close to him. Cause I miss him. He, he, he said, I'd, he said, I'd just say that I didn't even know him. and I didn't think I would. I told him he was crazy. But then at the first sign of trouble, I denied that I ever knew him. And if he's over there, I'm going where he's at. Because that's the place of restoration is at the feet of Jesus. Peter said, I got to get there. And he jumps in the water. Unfortunately from the text, and I'll have to ask Peter one day how it worked out, but we don't know if Peter got to the shore before the other disciples because the other disciples didn't overreact. They said, hey, we got a little boat. We could just row that in. And I don't know exactly how far 200 cubits is, but it takes me a long time to swim across the bathtub, so I assume Peter was having a hard time. And my ADDHD gets the better of me, and I can just imagine Peter swimming and James and John rowing. And they said, See you, Peter. They all get there, assumedly at about the same time, <clears throat> according to the text. And Jesus says, Bring those fish that you've just caught. But Peter, who hasn't learned from his overreaction yet, says, Yes, sir. And he goes and he picks up this net of fish that weighed at least 300 pounds. And I'll tell you why I know that. They called it big fish. They used a specific adjective for the fish. And in the Sea of Galilee now, those fish that weigh over about two, two and a half pounds, they're called St. Peter's fish. And they're called St. Peter's fish because this net was full of them and St. Peter reached and he grabbed them by himself and he drug them to Jesus. Tell me that ain't somebody trying to get to the feet of Jesus. I ain't got time to wait on y'all. Y'all going to try to make a plan. Y'all rode a stinking boat over here. I swam. I'm going to drag this net. I'm going to drag it up here to the feet of my Jesus because I can't wait to get to that place of restoration. And Peter dragged the net up there, 153 of them big jokers. And Jesus said, come and eat breakfast. Come and eat breakfast. You say, that's a good story, Brother Jason. What's that mean exactly? My friends, what it means is this. The disciples had been commissioned by Jesus to go out and do a great work. But in their minds, they had some wonder. I know they had some doubt. I know that because they went back fishing. So what was their doubt? Well, think about it. They were perfectly comfortable fishing. Doing what they were they were born to do and suddenly this guy comes by and he says follow me and I'll make you fishers of men and for three years everything they needed was provided to them by Jesus Christ every time they were hungry Jesus Christ fed them you remember they were out by another sea one day And he said, let's feed the crowd. And they said, we ain't got enough stuff to feed the crowd, Jesus. (laughs) He said, whatever. Give me the bread and the fish. (laughs) Carry this basket around. When it's empty, let me know. And the basket just never emptied. Fish just kept coming out of there. And so for three years, everything they needed was provided by this Jesus. And now Jesus is gone. And I can't help but know that they sat there and said, what are we going to do? What are we going to do now? Jesus is gone. Who's going to divide the fishes and the loaves? And we're running out. And I believe that Peter, being a leader, being one that people followed, said, Guys, I, we don't know when Jesus is coming back. We don't know what's going on. We better go provide for ourselves. I'm going fishing because I've got to take care of you guys. Somebody's got to step up now that Jesus is gone. And Jesus comes back and he proves to them something that we all need to learn. When he feeds them, Jesus has given them an example that for the remainder of your life, whether I'm here with you physically or here with you spiritually, I'm always going to take care of you. I'm always going to provide for you. You didn't have enough faith in me to make it for 30 days. From the time of his resurrection to the time of his ascension into glory was only 40 days. And so we know that it's less than 40 days. Matter of fact, we know it's less than 30 because it took 8 days for him to show himself to Thomas. So they didn't even make it 30 days before they gave up and went back to what they were doing before they met him. And Jesus said, this will not do. I've got to teach them one more time. Lo, I am with you always. Lo, I'm with you always. And he's telling us the same thing in his Sermon on the Mount. He said to us what? Don't don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink or what clothes you're going to wear. Even the sparrows understand that I'm going to provide for them. And yet what do we do at the first sign of trouble? We head into a ministry. We finally get obedient. We start doing this work of the Lord. We're going to tell somebody about Jesus. I'm going to do what Jesus commanded me to do. And at the first sign of trouble. Go, wait a minute. I'm going to slide right back over here into my little pocket where I'm comfortable because that's where I ought to be. And we're missing out on everything that God had in store for us because we're too busy staying where we were. Do you not realize that this same Jesus who commanded the fish has power over your life as well? This same Jesus that put fish in the net has the authority over your cancer. This same Jesus who was the resurrected Christ has the authority over your finances. And this same Jesus who brought Jairus' daughter and Lazarus back from the dead can save you. And so Jesus is telling us Where we need to go is to just come back to that place of restoration at the feet of Jesus. And he'll answer all of our questions. Disobedience equals a broken fellowship. But obedience equals a sweet communion with our Jesus. And so where are you at this morning? Are you going back to what's comfortable? Are you missing out on what's intended are you coming back to the place of restoration at the feet of Jesus this morning? Many of you here had a crazy encounter last week where you felt the Spirit thrive and move in in an awesome way. But this week felt a little empty. Come back to his feet, to that place of restoration. Because I can assure you the same Jesus is still here this week. Nothing's changed with Jesus. What changes is our attitude and our opinions. Let's pray. Father God, God, we come to you. And we thank you so much that in in a simple story about fishermen fishing and about your grace in their lives, we can see that we too can come to your throne of mercy. And God, whether we've been saved for a hundred years or whether we just met you last week, God, we can know that all we have to do is return to your feet, to the place of restoration, look upon the resurrected Christ and say, Father, forgive me. Jesus, I will obey. So God for that person in here this morning who knows they should help in the children's ministry, who's been convicted to sing in the choir, who has an ability to serve on the building and grounds, Lord God who wants to help with the hearts for hunger, God who wants to do something more for you, but has been hesitant, God would you give them the conviction to say, "I will not run any more from your call on my life, God, I will be obedient. I will help in Bible school. God, I'll serve you. Wherever you lead, God, I'll go. God, for that person in here this morning who said, My whole life has been empty, everything seems to run off course, and I've never felt the peace of being able to come to the feet of Jesus because I've never sat at His feet. I've never looked upon the resurrected Christ. God, would you do a work that only you can do? God, would you save them this morning and give them the courage and then conviction to come down and say, I want to follow Jesus. God, whatever work you've done in our hearts and whatever work you're going to do, we will give you the glory. And it is in your precious name that we pray.